The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Sponsored by Baker Hughes, a GE company inventing smarter ways to bring energy to the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I hope that your day is treating you well wherever you are, and we appreciate you choosing Permian Perspective as your listening choice today. So thank you. I'm sitting here in Midland, Texas with John Traschetti, and John is the executive director of the Midland Development Corporation and... MISD School Board Trustee. John, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Big fan. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I love hearing that. That is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I can't wait to get into our interview. I know it's going to be so much fun and just so informational, and so I'm looking forward to it. Before we do so, I want to ask everyone to help our show out. We are fairly new, so we want those five-star reviews, so please feel free to drop by on iTunes and leave your review. We also want to thank Apple for choosing Permian Perspective to be on their new and noteworthy list. We were pretty excited when we saw that. I was uh, shocked, had no idea. And so thank you, thank you, Apple. A special thanks also to Spot Monster for this awesome five-star review. I love hearing the names that, that people choose when they leave these reviews. So Spot Monster, whoever you are, thank you for this. This is what Spot Monster had to say. Well done, Krista. I love hearing from us locals. Wish I could be as positive as consistently as you are. So thank you for that. Very kind. I, I love positivity. And I appreciate that y'all notice that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Spot Monster. And once again, thanks again for leaving a five-star review. Okay. You ready, John? I am. All right. Let's get started. First of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself. A West Texas native, grew up in Lubbock. You know, my mother worked at tech for a lot of years, but really had to stick it to her and show her what for. I I wasn't going to go to tech just because I needed to get out of town. So I went an hour north to Plainview and and, and went to Wayland. Awesome. Married a Lockney girl, you know, so we're, we're panhandling West Texas people. Bounced around a lot, you know, didn't have a lot of direction early on. My, my folks divorced when I was very young. I wasn't a great student, kind of limped through college, worked a lot of retail, moved around, kind of ended up in the Dallas Metroplex, worked in grocery stores and had had a lady that uh, really was impactful for me that kind of saw something in me that maybe I didn't know was even there and kind of talked me into going back to school and getting my master's. And, and that's how I got into libraries. Wow. And so worked in public libraries in the Dallas area for several years. And then my mother was in declining health and being an only child, what she would call responsibility, I would call guilt. <laughs> and so needed to kind of come back to West Texas. And it just was one of those rare things in life where it worked out professionally and personally that the the director of the Midland County Public Libraries came open. And so we were able to move back to West Texas and be closer for her and her and her last years of declining health. But, you know, my wife and I both being kind of West Texas and Panhandle people, we wanted to come back and raise the family here. So, so it was perfect timing. It was. It, it worked out really well. And then had a very you know, we may get into that, but a really good run at the library, did a lot of great things, had a lot of support from the community and politicians were able to really move the needle when it came to public library service, not only in Midland, but kind of across the state as a best practices model. 
And then the MDC came calling. The Midland Development Corporation had an opening for an executive director. It was something that was certainly intriguing to me. I always had a great platform at the library, but it was very mm-hmm. narrow in scope. You know, it was very right. education and literacy, which are both wonderful things that I'm passionate about. Right. That, but the Midland Development Corporation has such a larger, wider swath of impact on how we can really change the community. And so it felt like the right time. You know, change can be scary, as you know. You know, you do something for, for so long in a community and you're kind of identified. It's, it's, it's what people see you as, you know, right. it sees, sees you as your identity. And so it was a little, it was a little scary, but it, it's been great. It's been great so far. They have a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of projects in the pipeline. And, and so excited about what the opportunities are going to be. I definitely want to talk about that transition yeah. here in a minute. First, let's let's talk about the library because you made some very instrumental changes. What is the thing you're most proud of from that time in the library? Wow. So in 2009, the Midland County Commissioners agendized to unfund and get rid of public libraries. Mm-hmm. And so when I came on in 2011, there was this real uncertainty about what the futures were even going to be. I think that during the public comment portion in 09, when they were trying to get rid of the library, People really came out, and that was great. And the commissioners would ask them, well, when's the last time you used the library? And they would say, well, I don't use it, but I know it's important. Mm-hmm. And so there was this disconnect. And we see that a lot, you know, especially on those quality of life issues in Midland with the boom and the people are moving in from out of town. They want those quality of life things that they're used to getting in the, in the larger metropolitan areas. Right. And so we were able to really kind of change the narrative about what the perception of public library service was for this community. And we were fortunate that we were kind of in a boom at the time. I think oil was 120 a barrel when I moved to Midland. Oh, wow. And the commissioners had some dollars set aside to do some things. And so we were able to invest, you know, $12.5 million over a five-year period in public libraries, which is unheard of for a community our size in Texas. And so I'm just, I'm really proud at kind of the turn, kind of the 180 turn that we were able to, to take with with the library in this community and kind of change the narrative going from, oh, it may not survive to really being something that people look to as a really strong quality of place issue. You know, we're, we hear stories about when physicians are on recruitment tours or people are bringing people in. The library is one of the places that they be sure and take the mom and the kids because they want to show right. them that we know we do have those amenities here. And so the Centennial Library on the Loop, of course, is is the premier, I would argue, still the premier public library space in Texas. Oh, it's beautiful. And the downtown library, of course, has had a renovation recently as well. So mm-hmm. really well positioned. And, you know, that takes a lot of people. That wasn't just me. I mean, right. I, had a, I could have just as easily been ran out of town for those crazy <laughs> ideas. You know, had a lot of political support, had a had a really good buy-in from the community. And so to be able to kind of turn that around like we did, I think, is something that I'll always be pretty proud of. Well, you did an excellent job. And congratulations, because that, that Centennial Library is amazing. And as as a mom of four, sure. and, and also just the era that I grew up in, going to the library is what we did. If we, oh. I mean, we didn't have Google. No, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. We yeah. had to do that. And so when my kids were little, we took advantage of those summer reading programs and such so many of the wonderful amenities that the library has here in Midland. So to see it being supported at that level is just encouraging, especially for someone that maybe is about to move into yes. West Texas right. for, for, you know, for oil and gas, to know that we do have 
some great, great libraries here and support, you know, and I think that's important as a parent. And, and, you know, you mentioned summer reading. There's a lot of programming that happens. I mean, you know, the libraries are never getting out of the book business. We're still, right. we're still about books and, and literacy and those things, but there are so many programs that are going on adult coloring and origami classes. I mean, there's, there's ways to plug in. And that's mm-hmm. another thing that I think is really good that they've done is it, you know, when you move to a new town, it can be hard to plug in, you know, you join the mm-hmm. church hopefully and, and you, you're meeting your neighbors, but you know, the library can be a pl- destination place where you can plug in with other people at stage of life. You know, right. we, we have large families. We're going to the library and hopefully finding those individuals that are kind of in that same spot of life as well. Right. So so let's talk about the transition. So you, you then transitioned to this new position as the executive director of the Midland Development Corporation. Yeah. Explain what the MDC does and how it helps not only oil and gas businesses, but all businesses here in West Texas. Yeah, so the so the Midland Development Corporation was by the voters was created. We get a quarter cent of the sales tax dedicated that runs through the CINI, and it's specifically for development. The MDC's mission is to promote and advance opportunities that enhance and diversify the strength and stability of the already good Midland economy. And so we are keenly aware that we're an oil and gas town, but you there are other commercial, you know, we're really focused on infrastructure right now because the growth is just so dynamic. And if the roads aren't there, you know, that that's a challenge. So we do a lot of collaboration with the other taxing entities, hoping to leverage what we feel like we can bring to the table and say, hey, this is going to benefit everyone. So if we right. can leverage building that road out for the next three miles or whatever the case may be with some MDC dollars, but also have the city and the county play a part, you know, then you're really expanding kind of the impact that you have. Right. We were keenly sensitive and aware of of the challenges in, in public education, healthcare, housing, all of those are, are issues that we're really taking a strong look at because we know that it's important for the future growth. You know, Dr. Perryman's most recent report says, you know, there could be over 200,000 people in Midland by 2030. Wow. And we just are not there from an infrastructure standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so what can the MDC do to help you know, because all the taxing entities have their kind of silo, the mm-hmm. things that they are charged with right. doing. And, and then, then that's great. We need those. We need great police and fire and, and you know, water, sewer, garbage pickup. Those things are important to our community. But, you know, if you're looking, taking the 30,000 foot view and really trying to get a broad look at how do we impact, where are the places that we can be most successful in creating it where we're not always playing catch up. Right. I feel like we've gotten to where the growth has been so fast that right now we're playing catch up and it's, it's, it's been hard to get ahead. So mm-hmm. that's really what it was excited to me about the MDC is their ability to kind of be a part of a lot of the solving of some of those challenges. Mm-hmm. Now with that playing catch up, I know a lot of people are always Kind of wanting everything yesterday here in West Texas. And if you're not here, you don't understand that. How can the community members help with that so we're not always feeling like we're trying to catch up? Yeah. So there's a great initiative right now called Priority Midland. I don't know if you talked about that on the, the podcast much. But we will be really soon with Dr. Perryman, actually. Great. That's going to be great. So there's there's a lot going on there. I think that everyone's come to the realization that, you know, if the way we've been doing it in the past isn't working. It's not that it was bad. It's mm-hmm. just time to kind of evolve and look at that next step. And so Priority Midland is, is an initiative to get, you know, buy-in from the taxing entities, the you know oil and gas companies, just the community at large in general. And so over the last year, we've had over 200 unique volunteers donate thousands of hours of their time in these key 
five key categories, public education, healthcare, infrastructure, housing, quality of place. Right. And so we're really taking a hard look at those issues to, to put together a comprehensive community plan for the next decade or beyond to say, if we're going to continue to be this preeminent city, what do we need? How do we need to address? How do we need to look at that? What, mm-hmm. how many schools do we need? How many water towers you know, where, where is the next housing development? Land is a challenge in Midland because mm-hmm. the oil and gas has so much. And so if we can work with them, but they, they understand that need as well. They have to have housing. They have to have good public schools or they're not be able to bring employees right. to this town to work for their company. And so, you know, we know under the ground is valuable, but our assets above the ground are just as valuable. How do we leverage all those things and coordinate? And so I think just the... the the community continues to needs to be engaged and involved in the, the election process, you know, make sure that we're we're involved in, in making our voice heard there. But there's a lot of volunteer opportunities in this community to, to help kind of make a impact and a, and a difference, you know, in a, in a small way. But a lot of those small ones it ended up being a, a pretty significant moving of the needle. Right, because as we've always heard, if, even if you just help one person, that you're right. making a difference. Mother Teresa said, if you can, can't feed 100, feed only one. That's right. I love that quote. Let's talk a little bit about Midland Development Corporation and how it can help local businesses. If someone is out there going, hey, I'm, I'm a new oil and gas business or sure. or any entity, how can you help them? So there's there's a couple of ways. There's economic incentives and there's, you know we can assist with tax abatements. So we don't do retail. It has to be you know large commercial industry, you know, adding value to the to the tax base, new development, right. those kinds of things. And so like you would for any tradition, say you had, you know, oil company B wants to expand, we may have some land, we may be able to help, they have some land, but they don't have water and sewer. You know, what are those kinds of, where are those deficiencies? What, how do we close the gap to make sure that you come to Midland, Texas? Gotcha. And those are the conversations that we want to be having because you do have options. You know, West Texas, I mean, Pecos is exploding, Mm -hmm. you know, but we, we feel like that we offer uniquely the airport, the I-20, you know, we have the resources to really make your company and position it where it needs to be. And so if there are deficiencies for you to, oh, well, I would move there, except does it doesn't have water and sewer. We can help that last mile. You know, right. let's have those conversations about you need land, resources, infrastructure. What are the, what are the, what are the hurdles that we need to clear to ensure that your company gets here? Those are the conversations that we want to have with those companies. And not just new businesses, existing businesses sure. as well that want to grow yeah, expansion. and expand. Okay. Absolutely. So good to know. And we'll give all your details at the end on okay. how they can get a hold of you. Great. What do you think makes the Permian Basin so great, John? That's a great question. There's so many things. So, you know, professionally, personally, there's different things. I think it's a great place to raise a family. We've we've grown and have the the big city amenities, I feel like, but you still have the small town feel, mm-hmm. which I really value. You know, having grown up in Lubbock, my wife grew up in a small farming community in the Panhandle. I love going to Dallas and Houston like everyone else. You know, it's just not for me. It's not where I want to raise a family. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it, but but not feeling like that you have to drive 100 miles to go to Walmart to get milk. Right. You know, so we really have have found this sweet spot of that great mid-sized city community. Still mm-hmm. having being a mid-sized city, but still being a community. Right. I like that. Certainly the oil and gas industry has created a lot of opportunity for people to have business growth and and development really reach. I like the kind of 
by your bootstraps. If you put in the hard work, you can make it, you know, Mm -hmm. there is, there is nothing in Midland that keeps you from making it. Right. Except you. Right. (laughs) And there are opportunities here and there are any number of avenues for you to reach that. And so the only thing that's keeping you from doing it is you. I like that there are as someone who struggled in school but is now very passionate about education, I like that there are different alternatives that you can go into the oil field, you know, right after high school and make a living wage. But that the, we still push and value education because you need engineers. Right. And so it's it's that rare industry I feel like where there's that wide swath that everyone can can provide for their family, mm-hmm. but not everyone has to have gone to an Ivy League school to do that. Right. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, not maybe not everyone has listened to your TED talk, but you need to. <laughs> so thank you for so that go, plug. Go Google that. <laughs> but you have you have a great story because not everybody grows up you know, just like knowing what their plan is, knowing what, you know, having all the resources, having all the tools, what made that click for you that you said, I'm going this path. And because, because if you look back in life, you always go, okay, I could have gone that path, Yeah, but I went this path. No, sure. What was it that did that for you? I was in, I was in retail working for a great company, but you know, the hours aren't great. You know, I'm telling, (laughs) preaching to the choir about (laughs) bad hours. (laughs) Right. And, but didn't know I think I knew but didn't recognize that it could be different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working 60 hours a week because you want the overtime and you're just never home and the kids don't see you. But mm-hmm. you, but it is your normal. When you're in it, you don't see it. Right. And a wonderful woman named Rebecca Sullivan, who was the library director in Terrell, Texas, where I was working as an assistant manager for a grocery store. I said, you know, I really think you missed your calling, you know, because it, it, so you'd move around a lot in retail, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because you have to go where the opportunity is. Right. And so every time you move, you you join a church and get a library card because join the church for the community and you have the library card because those services are free. So you get right. books for the kids and movies for the kids. Right. And so we'd be in the library and we'd be talking and, you know, I was always a library kid, but not in a, you know, educational area. It was just a safe place right. for me to go. And she goes, I really feel like you missed your calling. Libraries are changing. You have this great business background. You understand budgets. You understand personnel. It's the people skills that are really – the soft skills are really going to be important for the future of, of libraries. I think you should go back to school, get your master's, come work for me. And then when I retire in five years, you can have my job. And I told her it was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> like me as a librarian. That's You're hysterical. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, have a good day. See ya. <laughs> you know, so I was carrying her groceries one day, and she kind of planted that seed. Right. And it and something took hold there. I don't know. And the company was going to transfer me again. Mm-hmm. I was just tired. Yeah. And I thought, you know, well, grocery stores aren't going anywhere. And so why don't I try this and take this shot? So what do uh, I have to lose? And what At that point, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, I'm 27, 28. I feel like I'm old. I already <laughs> got two kids and it's too late for me to do that. You were just a baby. <laughs> yeah, well, looking back now, if I could tell that guy some things, we'd be in much better shape. But hey, what would you tell that guy? Well, I would have told him he get off your duff and and stop beating around and let's get after it. You know, you're just nervous. You know, you got a young family. You're safe. Not you're secure in your work. You've got the paycheck. You're 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 getting by. Right. And so there's some nervousness when you when you transition and make that change. So I think that was probably the tipping point. I went back and got the master's and, and started working and, and was very fortunate to kind of have a meteoric rise in, in that industry. But if I could go back further back, I would tell that kid to take his education seriously more early. I'm lucky that I was able to kind of overcome 
those inadequacies and deficiencies. You mm. know, I graduated 476th out of 550 in my high school class. I mean, I was not going to college if, you know, I was very lucky to get into Wayland. So you were going down a different path. I absolutely was. No mm -hmm. question was going down a different path. And so college helped, you know, getting a woman that'll kick you in the pants helps. <laughs> but, I, you know. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, All, but the education, yes. and so that's when it really turned for me, so moving into libraries, but also seeing, you know, kind of the value of, of the difference that education can make in a person's life, how it really is the tool to get people out of those harsh social cycles they find themselves in, you know, poverty, mm -hmm. crime, education is the difference maker for, for that almost 100% of the time, and it was for me, right. and when it finally clicked for me, that's when I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to commit some of my time in doing that. Would you say that's the biggest business tool that has helped you in life was education? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. What's the most important lesson you've learned through your years? That you're going to make mistakes. It's how you learn from them. I would much rather have someone that takes a risk than never takes a risk. You have to be able to, to push and change and evolve if you get inside your little box and you never, you know, that, and that may work for some people, it just doesn't for my personality, I guess. I think that asking never hurts. The most they're going to say is no, and you're not any worse off than you were. I think sure. being able to overcome that fear of no, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm married, so I hear no a lot. <laughs> and so I think being able to, and, and there's a lot of risks that we wanted to take and, and, you know, in, in the libraries and the Ted talk and, and running for office. I mean, there's some risk inherent in all of that. And right. you have to know that you have to understand both sides of that coin. You have to believe that you can do it, right. but you also have to understand that, you know, you're, you're risking losing or it's going to cost you something, uh, but, but to not let fear dictate the decisions that you make. So for those of you who have listened to my podcast, you know, I always like to ask my guests what their favorite book is or that they've read. I've never asked a librarian. So I'm so excited. A former librarian. Your podcast so, is not long enough. I'm so excited to ask, what is your favorite book? <laughs> you know, it just depends on when you catch me. I get on kicks where I'll read a bunch of nonfiction and then I'll read biographies and then I'll get into a fiction series and you know, it's asking a, a former librarian what their favorite book is, is like asking a parent their favorite kid. I mean, I could give you a handful of ones that, you know, I've really, and authors that I really like and, you know. I know, it's a, it's a tough one. Lonesome Dove okay. obviously is there. I'm a big Garrison Keillor fan. I like his kind of slice of life that resonates with me, but he does it with humor that okay. tackles some issues. There's a great nonfiction author called Thomas Mallon. He writes kind of a window of a, time and history that you're very familiar with. So he has a book called Henry and Clara, which is the story of the couple that were with the Lincolns the night he was shot at Ford's Theater. Oh, wow. Those were real people. He has a book about Mrs. Payne's garage, and she was the lady that rented her a garage apartment to Lee Harvey Oswald during the Kennedy assassination. And so I enjoy those seeing something that you really feel like you know the story of from a completely different angle. Right. You know, I like the I'm a big Downton Abbey guy, so I like the the Victorian England British history. I like Agatha Christie. Charles Finch has a great series of mystery. I you know, I mean we're gonna be here all day. <laughs> They're all your favorites. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's really, <laughs> really you tough. Love books. I, mean, I do that's, that's awesome. And, and you know what's interesting is I kind of made my name in early childhood literacy 
you know, literature and education initiatives. And so our bookshelf, and because we have kids, we have a lot right. more children's books, but seem to have read a lot more of, you know, I was a big Hank the Cowdog guy. If we go up around <laughs> Texas, you, you know, you read a lot of Hank the Cowdog. He's still churning those out, you yes. know, for generations. So. How about Good Night Moon? Good Night Moon is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know we could go on and on about yes. books. How about a podcast? I really like Permian Perspective. Yay! Big Christopher. Good, good yeah, answer. Like um, <laughs> Thank you. I like, I've listened to, speaking of Garrison Keillor, the writer's almanac. He has a daily podcast. Okay. It's short, like 10 minutes, you know, this day in history. And, and well, I like those. The poem. Yes. I did say his name one more time. Garrison Keillor. Garrison Keillor. Uh-huh. Okay. He did a Prairie Home Companion for years and years on NPR. It's been okay. quietly can wake Wobegon. Okay. That guy. Okay. I liked the dream. I listened to the dream and it had the series about the the Ponzi scheme and multi-level marketing. Very interesting. You know, I do some podcasting either when I'm driving or traveling, yes. you know, and that's typically when I listen to, I have, I feel like I have a list, mm-hmm. you know, I listen to the NPR daily. If the news oh. story is something that I want to, that I'm interested in hearing, that's I'll, a good I'll, one. I'll listen to that as well. What about a quote? Do you have a quote that you've kind of lived by in life? So I'm a big Laura Bush guy. We're best friends. Just, <laughs> she just doesn't just, know it. Just trust me. Yeah. Just <laughs> ask me on that. Don't, don't worry about asking her. She's a Midlander. She's a librarian by mm-hmm. profession, big children's literacy person. And so... Have uh, you met her? I have. Oh. Yes. No, she's been very, very kind and supportive to me and my... Much more than I deserve. Yes. Yeah, she's a fantastic woman. But I quote her often. One that I love is uh, that children that le- learn to read learn two things. First, that reading is worthwhile, but second, that they are worthwhile. Mm. And that, of course, resonated with me because I felt like that I was the kid that she was talking about, you know. There's a lot of great Churchill quotes. You know, I'm a big Churchill guy too, the leadership stuff. Love it. Tell me, what are you looking forward to the most right now? November 5th. (laughs) Get rid of, interested to see how this school, I feel like we've been talking about this school bond for five years in this Let's community. catch our, our, our listeners okay, up because okay, uh, okay. we haven't mentioned it on our podcast. Sure. So in, in 30 seconds or less, tell us about the bond. So the Midland ISD is going out for a $569 million school bond to do comprehensive high schools, two of them. So Midland currently is a two high school town. Our growth we feel as, as a board, as the board of trustees feels like that we need to move to a three high school town. And so we are going to address our severe deficiencies in capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, Midland High was built when silent movies were playing. And the oldest photos of Midland High have stables because kids were riding their horses to school. Wow. That, the oldest part of that building is 100 years old. And then Midland Lee is your, is your newest high school, and it was built in the early 60s. And so things have changed in that time, and they just don't meet. We feel like we can offer a better educational experience. So going to do a new, two new high schools, a new Midland High and a new Midland Lee, and then you go back and you refurbish, put a lot of money into the existing Lee campus, which is on Neely, and that will be your third comprehensive high school. What, what do you want voters to know? I want voters to know that this is a, a magical time to try to be doing a bond for a lot of reasons. One is just the community need. I mean, we are at a, we've kicked the can as far down the road as we can. We, the community, if, if we value education and all of the things that it touches, and everyone will tell you, you can't re- recruit doctors because of the public education system. You can't recruit oil and gas workers because of the public education. We're all invested in it. Right. And now's the time. But beyond that, just from an economics, you know, no one wants their taxes raised. 
Right. You and I sitting here, we don't either. We have families to feed. We, we have families to feed, lunch money to provide, milk to buy. Right. But because of what the legislature did this year with compressing the tax rate for school districts, compounded by Midland's oil and gas valuations, we're in this really dynamic place where a $300,000 house, let's say, for mm-hmm. example, in this community is a little above average, but kind of in the, right. the, middle, the middle, will have an increase of just $20 a month on a half a billion dollar bond mm-hmm. with interest rates at historic lows. There's just so many things that are in our favor right now to try to do this bond that we really feel like this is the best time and opportunity now to go after it. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, that was more than 30 seconds. No, you did good. You did great. You did great. What piece of advice, John, would you give to someone that is maybe going through a similar journey as you? You're making a big transition into a new position after being in one for seven years. Sure. What advice would you give to someone that is going through something like that? <sighs> to be all in, you know, to really, what made you successful, take those skills, you know, move them on, be sure to not come in and pipe bomb the place the first day. That's never really a great. Get to know kind of the people, get to know the organization, get to know the board, kind of what their direction is, and then you add value where you feel like you can. It's not about changing everything to meet your needs. It's about what are they doing successfully and then where can I add value? We can always go back and tweak the things where we feel like we can do better. Right. But you were hired or you were brought in because you had a certain skill set that someone saw. And so where can you be most valuable and, and implement that? And everyone's a little nervous and they're just as nervous as you are when you come into a new team. Yeah, the sure. team is just as nervous as, as you are going yeah. into it. So I always like to think, remember what everybody's all, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And so let's support each other and not just, you know, come in with, well, what's going to happen? Let's go in with, hey, what's going to happen? Hey, you know, what's going on? There's two ways you can look at it. And I, and I I feel like you have that positive attitude for that. So best of luck to well, you. Well, I'm glad you see that. Yeah. I'm not always as positive <laughs> as I'm giving it off, I guess. You know, I could be a bit. We all have those days. I, can be a bit, I have a reputation of being a bit abrasive. So. <laughs> well, we all have those days. Tell me, is there anything coming into this podcast that you thought, oh, I really hope the listeners get to know about me or my journey or MDC that maybe we haven't? covered yet. No, I mean, like you said, you know, a lot of, of a lot of me is out there. I'm very most of my life struggles I've used and tried to parlay into, you know, a success. I'm open about, you know, my battle with alcoholism. I'm open about, you know, the the struggles of growing up, you know, poor and broken home and and if and, and the goal being if someone can use, use that or learn from that or it touches them in some way. I'm always surprised at the emails or, or the comments I'll get. Someone will pull me aside and, you know, they were struggling with something and seeing me talk about it, you know, really helped them. And that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm right. glad for that. That's why I do it. It's not fun to talk about your junk. Right. Not that it, I don't think of it as a ministry, but I do think of it as, you know, trying to lead by example and knowing that someone did the same for me. And so if I can pay that forward to any and, and do something for them, I certainly would. As far as the MDC, you know, it's a, it's a great organization, really positioned well to do great things for this community. We have a great board, really strong leadership. You know, we're a little dependent upon the, the sales tax, you know, right. so we do more and are more impactful in a boom. But, you know, what we're doing with doctor recruitment and retention and, and trying to figure out the housing and, and doing roads and infrastructure and, and you know, we partnered with Midland Health this year on the child psychiatric. We're trying to expand the PA program. We're looking at doctor. I mean, we are we are vested and in there trying to address those needs that we know that are important to our community. 
It's a challenge sometimes in Midland because it is so affluent right. and not that that's a negative thing. It's just kind of the reality. And so people are used to kind of jet setting. And I, I say that loosely, not everyone owns a jet, but you know, they're used to going off to you Dallas. You don't, I don't. Uh, you um, and I don't. No, <laughs> we don't. They're going to Austin, Houston, Dallas right. for all those things. But let me tell you, when you have a heart attack or a stroke, you're going to be glad that that hospital is right there. Absolutely. And when you move to town and, you know, rent is high or the home valuation is much higher than you thought it was and you can't afford private school like you thought, you're going to be glad that we committed some time and invested in public education. And you're going to be glad that the roads are. And so um, my hope is is that we can continue the work that the Midland Development Corporation has done and really continue to see this positive trend. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people in town that have, you know, all of the priority Midland. There's so many great leaders in this community that we Mm -hmm. could check off that have been, you know, helpful to me or an advisor to me or inspiring to me. And some of them you've had on the show, you had, yes. you, you know, Bobby Burns on great guy, former mayor, chamber leader now, you know, really has a vision for this community. Mm-hmm. And there's a, and there's a lot of individuals like that. And so any part, I just, I'm just glad to be in the room sometimes, right. you know, sometimes <laughs> you just want to sit there and listen to what's going on and, and hope that they don't kick you out. Kind of like you're sitting at the big kids table. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. do I belong here? Do they, well, do I'm going to enjoy why I'm uh, here. That's exactly right. Until they figure it out, I'm going to enjoy it. But I, but I'm hopeful and optimistic that Midland can continue to to grow and continue to provide those opportunities for for industry and business and continue to be a great place to raise a family. Right. We want people to come and and stay. Right. I think that for a long time there was a come. I, I said the same things. I was only going to be in Midland three years. Me too. Yeah. I, I was. Yeah. I thought okay, I'm going to do my two years time and keep going. And I but- think. You know, whether it's TV or, you know, working for county government or oil and gas, I think a lot of people come in with that mentality. I'm going to be here two or three years and then I'm going to go back to. But if you create a place, if you create an environment, if you create a city Mm -hmm. that that has a vision and has a good quality of of life and and has the amenities that people are looking for, they'll stay, you know, and all of those things that Priority Midland and the PSP and, you know, the chamber and MDC are or that we've identified as those key things, mm-hmm. I think is going to be really great for our community in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Absolutely. Well, John, I know we're running out of time, and I had a list of like 10 other Already? questions. So we may have to have a follow-up in a, in, in, a, in a year or so, so we can get caught up on how everything's going with MDC since yeah. you are in this new transition. But we wish you the very best. Oh, well, thank you. And I really appreciate you just being so open and honest and sharing your time with us today. Absolutely. And I, I love your quote that about Mother Teresa just helping one person because that's really it. And I, yeah. I know someone was helped today. So by oh, your well, story. That's, that's very so kind. thank Anything, you so much. When Krista calls you answer, oh, you do whatever. You. Big fan. Thank you. Well, I'll be calling again. Okay. I'll be calling again. Thank you, John. And we'd like to now announce today's community MVP. And the MVP is the Midland Education Foundation and Pioneer Resources. Yes, they are hosting one of their biggest fundraisers of the year coming up on September 14th. The event is always a blast. I mean, when I say always, it is always so much fun. And this year they're bringing in Montgomery Gentry. That's right, who I know will be just amazing in concert. If you would like tickets, they are very affordable. Advanced tickets, $30 or $40 day of the show. There's also, of course, premium tickets, VIP tickets, which are all VIPs. So give them a call or you can also go online at boxoffice solutions.net 
or the 1-800 number is 1-800-514-3849. So Community MVP, Midland Education Foundation, and Pioneer Resources. Another special thank you to our sponsor today, Baker Hughes, a GE company, inventing smarter ways to bring energy to the world. And of course, John Traschetti, who's the Executive Director of Midland Development Corporation. Thank you for sharing. You can find him on social media. They have a LinkedIn page, I believe. They are on Facebook. They have a website. We have all that information in the show notes, but you can also go to midlandtexedc.com for more information. And that's it. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us today. As always, you know, I appreciate you and my motto, dream big and believe in yourself. You make it a great day. And here are the events on deck for August, 2019. The oil and gas conference, the 11th through the 14th at the Western Denver downtown. SPE Subsea Well Intervention, 13th through the 15th at Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas. Oilfield Helping Hands Summer Pistol Shoot, August 16th at the Texas Gun Club in Stafford, Texas. Uh, of course, Summer Napes coming up August 21st through 22nd at the George R. Brown Convention Center here in Houston, Texas. The IADC Well Control Conference, which is the 27th through the 28th at a Moody Gardens Hotel in Galveston, Texas oil and gas happy hour in Tanzania, August 23rd, 6 to 10 p.m. at the Best Western CBD Hotel in Dar el Salaam, Tanzania. A PGICE 2019 will be held 27th through the 30th at Hilton Buenos Aires Hotel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, held, of course, 27th through the 30th. U.S.-based oils and lubricants summit that will be held the 28th through the 29th in New Orleans, Louisiana. And then, of course, the Denver Happy Hour, which will be launching August 29th in Denver, Colorado at Liberty Oil Services. Hope to see you there. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.